This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. It is a physical injury because it's actually our nervous system. It falls under mental health in some ways in our in the way we've been describing it, but it actually physically is our nervous system that is in crisis. So our nervous system is a part of our the physical way that our that our body develops. This episode comes to you from the inner workings of River Guide culture. And this episode is for the commercial river guides, the warehouse managers, the owners of commercial river outfitters, and all of the folks behind the scenes of the commercial river guiding culture. River guides have an incredible lifestyle, running rivers and getting paid for it. It's easy to think it's just that simple. Behind the glorious veneer are layers of life and work complexities like any other job a person might have. And then you mix in the adrenaline charges of high performance in high risk situations, the dawn to dusk work schedule that runs for months on end, the constant need for communication with peers and socialization with customers. River guiding can get tricky. It gets hard and it does not stop. And the risk is always there. This episode is two things. It is an exploration of emerging resources and tools for river guides that go beyond the wilderness first responder training and the swift water rescue training. It gets into the mental health skills that guides can use to navigate their work. And the second thing this episode is, is a follow-up to the cluster of three episodes we published in the fall of last year, 2022. Those three episodes are titled The Endless Summer 1, 2, and 3. Maybe you heard them. Those are the story of one river guide, John, working in Idaho in the summers on the rivers and the Caribbean in the winters. John came here to the River Radius and told his story about river guiding and about the guide work he does today and the powerful life he now leads. Those episodes gained more social media and direct email feedback to the River Radius than any prior episodes, and the feedback was an ongoing expression of gratitude for the exploration into this harder side of guide life. People speaking about their friends and colleagues who were dealing with similar challenges and how they were concerned for their mental health, their physical health, and some people directly talking about their own struggles with the intersection of the glory of guide life and the intense stress and the blurry path of using substance to ease the pain. So, this episode is for the river guide. If you are a guide, give this a listen. I was a guide. I wish I had some of these tools and awareness that are talked about in this episode. I would have done a few things differently as a young guide had I known. We have two guests today. The first is Brooke Edwards, and the second is Bruce Lavoie, an operations manager for a National River Outfitter. Brooke Edwards is a lifelong backcountry guide working in Alaska, and she also works for the Responder Alliance, an organization building tools for river guides to navigate the mental health challenges that always emerge. Please welcome Brooke Edwards. My name is Brooke Edwards. I live in Girdwood, Alaska, and I work all over Alaska as a guide. I came to find guiding 28 years ago as a cowgirl out of Jackson Hole doing pack horse trips and realized like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I loved working with people. I love bringing people into the outdoors. I grew up very much with an outdoorsy family and I got a master's in environmental education with a focus on ecotourism and found uh, some work in the summers in Alaska and learned how to row boats on the Kenai River in Alaska, down on the Kenai Peninsula. Fabulous sport fishing river, pretty mellow class two, beautiful turquoise waters, and just fell in love with it and realized that I could make a career out of guiding and have lived seasonally 
ever since. And I would, I would classify my guiding career as like, I would call it wilderness guiding. So my river career has really been all about getting through deeper into the wilderness in Alaska. And then of course, used a lot of my personal time on rivers in the lower 48 to explore those as well. So always been a passion of mine and I've been able to be lucky enough to take it into the winter as well. And I'm a ski guide and teach avalanche education in the winter. So you, you do this guide work, you're doing, you're still guiding in lots of different places you teach, but then you also, you work for the Responder Alliance. Is that right? Correct. And I found my way to the Responder Alliance through my own stress injury. And so now my job at Responder Alliance, my title there is that I am the community lead for the guides community, as well as the avalanche professional community during the winter. And then guides is going to encompass winter and summer guides. And so it'll be, you know, river guides to me are that primary guiding community that is really, you know, dealing with a very dangerous element and, and dealing with the stress of that and dealing with the culture of that day in and day out. And, and some people just do it for a season, but lots of folks choose to do it over the course of a career. And so that's really what I'm doing at the Responder Alliance is I'm leading up this community that is a space, a safe space where people can support each other and people can access the tools that we've created and even share how their companies are integrating ways of looking into resilience and, and building resilience. I was a river guide for many years. Commercially, it still is one of the my favorite parts of my life. When I, when I think about the times that I had, the places I got to see, sleeping outside, the people that I worked with, that some of them are some of my dearest friends still, and all these other things, the confidence I learned, and the just all kinds of interpersonal and intrapersonal skills that I learned. And I also learned how to run rivers, which is really awesome. I love doing that. We're going to dive into the things about river guiding that are hard, that are really challenging, and that can, that can put a person in a really intense place in their life. But I don't want to I don't want to ignore the brilliance of river guiding. Can you tell us what you think the mental health benefits are, the the personal life benefits are that come with being a river guide? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question because I I feel like it just absolutely blows my mind and brightens my day to watch a light bulb go off for other people too get the opportunity to show somebody a wild place via a river to to get that squeal when people go in to hit a whitewater wave and they're just like squealing like little kids like the joy that you get to release in people feeds our endorphins it's the biggest gift to be able to provide that to people over and over day in day out and it's why we it's why we guide right to me it's like I get to midwife people's experience into this passionate way to explore wilderness through joy, actual, like the bliss of, of moving with an element that is water and you get scared and then you giggle your butt off and then you fall in and you come back in and you feel the sense of camaraderie with all the team and your raft and you all raise your paddles up to do it and slap the water with a big beaver slap. And there's this like, sense at the end of the journey that you you brought these people together sometimes strangers now friends and 
what a rare treasure that is. I feel like I get to see essentially the best of humankind to witness how people can work as a team and find joy and find connection with each other and find connection with wild places and wild spaces and the humbling power of water and moving with water. Jack's Plastic Welding is sponsoring today's episode. Jack's Plastic builds boats and dry bags and Paco pads. When I go on long overnight river trips, I row my Jack's Plastic Welding cataract. I've been rowing Jack's Plastic Welding cataracts for 16 years. This boat has 24-inch tubes and is 14 feet long. These tubes easily carry a five-bay expedition frame loaded with a cooler, dry box, water jugs, smaller boxes, dry bags, and some humans. This boat runs big white water with that load and is the smoothest ride, slicing through waves and holes. And on flat water, that boat tracks perfectly. I've had this boat on narrow mountain runs and on big desert rivers. I recommend Jack's Plastic Welding Cataracts all day long. You can find Jack's Plastic Welding online at www.jpwinc.com. That is www.jpwinc.com. And so in your work, in your work with Responder Alliance, in the guide work you do, in the guide teaching that you do, in, in terms of stress, what are you seeing inside the guide community? I think the most obvious sign is the coping mechanism. So a lot of guide cultures are pretty heavy on the party scene. And to be super honest, I mean, I was, I was too. Like we all came into guiding in your 20s and it was so much fun. It, was, it is a part of the culture. And then there, there comes a tipping point where it becomes something that you're, you're really looking forward to in your guiding day and maybe a little bit too heavy and maybe a a way to numb at the end of the day or check out a little bit more instead of just the toast beers and celebrate our day. So when, when that tipping point happens where you see it being used as a coping mechanism and the wear and tear, the, the chronic stress really shows up in this wear and tear way of maybe trouble sleeping because you're, you're replaying your decisions for the day or replaying an old incident or maybe a near miss. And I see it sometimes if I've gone on another guided expedition where I'm not the guide and I'm a client and I'll see it in a burnout way with other guides. Maybe they're, they're telling the same joke and they're kind of over it. They don't, they don't want to interact with customers anymore. So there's like a loss of joy or like they're quicker to snap. I can always tell it when somebody is like just repeating a line again, I'm like, Oh, come on. Like you've lost, you've lost your connection to why you do this. Like essentially Yes, you have to love, you have to love whitewater, you have to love boating, and you also have to love people. And if you're losing that element of loving the people, that to me is a sign of just that wear and tear. It's like if you can't see their light bulb go off because your light bulb is dimming, it's like you need to, you need to take a little step back. You've brought in these terms of acute stress and chronic stress. And I feel like before we even talk about tools, I think I'd like to just hear you define what acute stress means and what chronic stress means. Can you do that, please? Can you define acute stress and chronic stress? Certainly. They're both natural ways that as humans, our body has evolved in good ways to respond to our environment. So acute stress is basically what we know as what happens when stress comes into our lives for a really short time and our body typically produces like fight, flight, or freeze 
it's our lizard brain where zebras on the prairie and the lion comes across to charge at us. We get a shot of cortisol. We get a shot of adrenaline. It's our autonomic nervous system that activates us. Our heart rate goes up. Our respiratory rate goes up. Our blood pressure goes up. And for all good reason, it is our wild animal response to get us away from the lion, to run to the other side of the prairie. Now, in a normal acute response, then our body would bounce back pretty quickly. After a large incident like a fatality on a river, generally three days is what our expectation is for our human system, if somebody is a healthy human, to actually like rebound out of that fight or flight. Now, chronic stress is also a totally normal thing. It's, gosh, we all deal with it every day. And no matter what your job is, you don't have to be a river guide to know the aches and pains and fatigue. It's the wear and tear, what I would call, is, is you might, after a lot of buildup of chronic stress, if you're not actively kind of working to counteract it, you can have difficulty sleeping, you can have headaches, you can be short in your temper, you can have problems being motivated or you know in a in the river world it might look like you're not interested in going boating for yourself on your days off anymore so that just that lack of interest um you know in my case it was that kind of like I couldn't find whitewater boating fun anymore even if I wasn't guiding because I just was waiting for it to be over I was like holding my breath really they're both about time acute quick and fast our body is designed to respond to dangers. Chronic is like our ability to persevere over a longer period of time through an austere environment. So both serve us. And it's about the balance is when they get out of balance or they don't resolve. Everybody, whether they're a guide or a, or a businesswoman on Wall Street, they have stress in their life. We all have stress. We're humans. We're all going to have acute stressors that we are designed in our lizard brains to boom, respond to. We get all these shots of these extra hormones, cortisol and adrenaline to activate a good response. And then once the danger is gone, whoom, we bounce back to our normal state. That's what a healthy human nervous system would look like. You told me that Responder Alliance builds different kinds of tools for river guides does the Responder Alliance have a tool um, that that can help river guides understand the impact that, that acute stress is having on their nervous system when it's applicable? Like if there is a major incident, how they can just understand what their system is dealing with. One of our tools is a three 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 protocol that stands for three days post incident. We have a check in that we do with those people to see has their nervous system returned to normal. So three days you're like checking in, then three weeks then three months. And at each stage, there are different line items under those check-ins to get at. So 333, checking in with a person after an acute stress injury at three days, at three weeks, and at three months. I am assuming this is based on research that supports this three days, three weeks, three months. Am I right on that? Correct. The 333 protocol is responder alliance, but it's all based on scientific research. And we put in a traumatic stress questionnaire that was developed by C.R. Bruin in 2002. And this happens at the three-week check-in. There are questions like, are you feeling upset by reminders of the events? 
Do you still have bodily reactions such as fast heartbeat or stomach turning? Do you have difficulty falling or staying asleep? Are you irritable or do you have outbursts of anger? So you just answer those yes or no. And if you have more than six yeses, you you have an increased risk of a stress injury developing, right? You still We're still in the process of this, like, it's not like, boom, something happens, you have PTSD. It's like, it's all, it's a process. It's an injury in development. And so all these stop gaps are ways that we can prevent the injury from fully coming to fruition. From that traumatic stress questionnaire, maybe at that three weeks, they get less than five. And that means they are resetting on their own. Their resilience plan, their individual resilience plan, their team resilience plan is working. We've reversed that stress injury development. We've just stopped it from happening. And now we can just manage along the stress continuum. I feel like we've kind of secondarily described a stress injury. Can you give a primary definition and description of what that means to have a stress injury? It really was first researched by the military, the U.S. military around the Vietnam era when soldiers were coming back with post-traumatic stress disorder. They were not having an easy time reintegrating because of all that they'd seen and witnessed during war. And so the military started studying it, and then psychologists took it up and realized, like, oh, this is really similar with victims of sexual abuse and rape. And then the body of work all of a sudden in the late 70s and 80s, like, really took off to understand this is more than sexual abuse and more than, you know, going to war. This is the actual spectrum. So the military came up with this spectrum, this continuum of stress injury, where one end of the continuum is post-traumatic stress disorder and responder alliances added color to it to just make it really easy to define. So think of it as going from, we call it being in the green. So being in the green is like you're mission ready, you're well rested, you're active, you're fired up about your job, you're passionate, your stoke level is high. Yellow would be you're maybe a little reticent to jump in there, but you're still feeling pretty good. You know, some nights aren't as great as sleep. You get a little nervous before work, you know, orange is you're starting to snap at your coworkers. You're not finding as much joy. You're drinking a lot to numb yourself after work. You're using more coping mechanisms to just deal with your workplace. And then red is like, you're getting into the place of like, you're really disturbed and you're having a hard time functioning in day-to-day life and you really can't sleep. And it's creating that negative spiral loop of like, the more you can't sleep, the more you're snapping at people and the more you're dreading going to work and the more you're not doing things for yourself in the off time, you're not finding those ways to restore. And that's really in the red is where you actually need professional help and professional counseling because that that red zone can be where like true anxiety and depression take over and thoughts of suicide take over and so that's a real dangerous zone to live in for very long the reason we call it stress injury is because you can have a minor stress injury and be in the yellow and then it's pretty easy to do self-care and regulation to get yourself back to the green. You know, it's something you can do on your own. Even in the orange, you could still manage it on your own or with a good team if you've developed a good plan. But that red is like, that's next level. We really need to get you to higher level of care to be able to give you some really professional resources. And there's some amazing styles of counseling that have come out from all the body of work done on stress injuries 
and what works with PTSD over the years because it has been around so long and the military has studied it for so long that now the, the world of clinical help has gotten to be able to interact with it in a whole host of ways that people could almost pick from a menu as to what's going to work for them. So, so we're talking stress injury. We're talking about our brain, our mind, our emotional, our emotional systems. So if I think about a, a stress injury on the physical body that's not healed, a wrist that's sprained or stressed, that it just gets worse and it's never as strong and it never is as good of a tool in our life. So then if a stress injury is not healed, what is the outcome of not dealing with that stress injury? It is actually a physical injury because it's actually our nervous system. It, it falls under mental health in some ways in, our, in the way we've been describing it, but it actually physically is our nervous system that is in crisis. So our nervous system is a part of the physical way that our, that our body develops. And there's a, there's a great book out there that, called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. <laughs> and there's a huge body of work that has proven how this chronic stress, basically putting your nervous system in this injured state and keeping it there actually comes out in terms of terminal illness, cancers, ulcers, all these physical long-term diseases where you're impacting your ability to even counteract like the common cold coming your way because you're, you've decreased your physical capacity. You are making your immune system deficient because you're almost robbing it of, of bandwidth. And I love that book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, for that. Because, again, it's using that idea of the zebra and the lion as like, the lion comes to hunt them, they burst cortisol, adrenaline, shoot across the prairie, lion's gone, they return to normal. So there's not that buildup of stress to create the ulcer where they're holding on to that. They just bounce back, bounce back. Here's what I'm hearing from you around tools. And I haven't asked specifically about them, but I'm going to just go back and list off what I feel like I'm hearing. Stress continuum. We talked about it in the Endless Summer episodes from 2022. I think understanding the definitions of acute stress and chronic stress, what those are independently, and then how those complicate each other and intertwine. I think understanding the stress injury concept um, I think being comfortable with this conversation, with being able to talk through these things and admitting that you're hurting inside, that you have things that are complicating the way you feel, that you don't feel your best maybe. You did talk about the three, 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 three days, three weeks, three months as a uh, follow-up check-in model around uh, acute stress injuries. What other tools are you and Responder Alliance bringing to the guide world? A couple that I've kind of talked around but not specifically named is the traumatic stress questionnaire was part of the 333. So that's that's like a built-in tool within inside that. And then we have four online courses currently. So we have, you know, stress continuum for the individuals, stress continuum for the team. You're learning about resilience. You're learning about uh, ways that you could check in. A lot of different organizations are using that really simply as just a check-in method. You know, you come to morning guide meeting and people just say like, I'm in the green, I'm in the yellow, I'm in the orange. And then you know where your coworkers are at for the day. So that common language can be really, really helpful in the workplace. And then we have the during incident. So something bad happens on the river. 
that psychological first response for rescue. So that woofer equivalent for the nervous system. Um, and that is a course that we offer online and is an excellent tool for guides. What we would love to see organizationally is that companies got to a place where just like they require the guides to show up with a woofer, they require them to show up with the PFRR as well and practice scenarios with that. And then there is the post-incident tool. And we haven't really talked about that yet, but it's an incident support tool. So when your worst nightmare happens at a company and say there is a, a river fatality, it's a way that it's an actual scorecard that you can go down and it asks all these questions of the actual incident to score the incident to figure out how potentially traumatizing was this incident. And then each responder gets their own appraisal scorecard as well. And you add those two together to create a total score. And then based on those numbers, then there's a plan associated with each of those numbers. It's helpful, I think, in those times when you're, you're a deer in the headlights because um, maybe it's the first time that your company has, or you as a guide in your guiding career has ever experienced something on the negative scale of guiding. Maybe you've only experienced all those positive pieces that we were celebrating earlier in the podcast. And so it can feel really overwhelming when it's the first time in that space. And so essentially it's like opening up this checklist that helps to say like, okay, now what do I do? Now what do I do? Those courses that Brooke just described, the Psychological First Response for Rescue or the Stress Injury Awareness courses, you can find those on the Responder Alliance website. That is www.responderalliance.com. And the Responder Alliance is offering a discount and promo code to you, to the River Radius listeners. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS, that's River Radius, one word, and you'll get the discount on those courses. So you can go to their website, and look up the courses, log in, do your thing, and enter River Radius, get the discount. You can find links to all that information in today's show notes. Jack's Plastic Welding is sponsoring today's episode. Jack's Plastic builds boats and dry bags and Paco pads. My most important gear lives in dry bags from Jack's Plastic Welding. They have roll-top duffel bags in several sizes, and they have dry bags for guitars and really just about any shape or size of dry bag you are looking for. And Jack's Plastic is home of the original Paco Pad. These Paco Pads can provide excellent cushioning over your boat. They can go over the dry boxes and they can go over the cooler as well, providing sun insulation. And when you get to camp, the Paco Pad is an easy and super comfortable pad for sleeping next to the river. You can find Jack's Plastic Welding online at www.jpwinc.com. That is www.jpwinc.com. To further understand what it looks like to put these tools from the Responder Alliance to work with river guides working on rivers, we talk with Bruce Lavoy. Bruce Lavoy works for the outfitter known as Oars. Bruce is a river guide on the water, and he is the operations and warehouse manager for Oars at Dinosaur National Monument in Utah, and he serves as the risk management director for Oars nationwide. Please meet Bruce Lavoy. My name is... Bruce Lavoy, and I, I work in Vernal, Utah in the summer, and I am currently in Connecticut. I started wilderness instructing out in the East Coast in Connecticut, New Hampshire, and then followed my passions out West 
and started out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Ended up working with ores in Jackson and in Moab. Also then going out to New Zealand, guiding season out there in Fiji, and then back in Vernal, Utah. And in Vernal, what rivers are you working on? So there, it's pretty fun. We're lucky to have three, four, five multi-day trips on Gates of Lador, Yampa, Desolation Canyon, Flaming Gorge, ABC stretch, and then a one-day stretch on Split Mountain, eight-mile class three stretch. Can you tell us about the organization you work for? You said ORS. Can you tell us about ORS? Even breaking it down to what ORS stands for um, as an acronym, and then your job title, the things you do there, and the nature, the focus of your work. Yeah, so I work for ORS, and uh, ORS stands for Outdoor Adventure River Specialists. And the company is a, is a wide-reaching company. It's viewed oftentimes as a big company, but it's ran like a small family-run company. I have a lot of gratitude for ORS over the years I've been with them. With ORS, we have a few different locations, uh, Grand Canyon, Moab, Vernal, Utah, Idaho, Oregon, California. And so to bring up to where I am, I'm in the Dinosaur National Monument operation out of Vernal, Utah. And so I, what I do there is I, I work as a guide, I work as a trip leader, as an operations manager, yeah, then risk management director for, for the company. So I know that there's a big difference between being a river guide and then being the operations manager. You do that with your wife. You guys co-lead that. But yeah. can you break that down more? Because the operations manager is a no joke. It's not a simple task. Tell us what that entails. The operations managers or regional manager, however you, you define it. So Nicole, my wife, and I, we both co-manage the operation. And, and we've done it for a while, since 2008. The goal is to provide the best river experience for our guests and the best vacation, the wow moments. And all the logistics that go into that are numerous and, and evolving. So as the operations managers, you're, you're, you're dealing with schedules and guides, trucks and trailers, drivers, vehicles, um, the equipment, and just trying to piece all these pieces together. So let's talk about river guides. Cause that's what we're here to talk yeah, about. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> here, to, here to talk about them, here to support them. Some of my favorite people on the planet. Can you, can you just, you know, describe who a river guide is? What, like who these people are that become river guides or who, who are river guides? You know, I've been trying to, to describe that to my family for the last almost two decades and they still don't know. And I still haven't done a good job. Yeah. I think, River guides are, you know, they're the lucky ones that have found found their passion. There's something really magical about the river. It's ever changing and it's uh, so unique and beautiful and challenging. And then you put somebody in there that just falls in love with it. And, and that passion just oozes out of them. They're just excited to be, to share those moments with the people they're bringing downstream to be in those moments, to be in those places, and to work hard. I mean, it's hard work. River guiding is not easy. I think you got to really like to punish yourselves a little bit and then get the reward at the end. What's hard? What's hard about river guiding? 
it's a it's a lot it's a big ask um it's about the guests it's about that customer service providing providing that experience because your ultimate goal is to just connect with people in these wild places um, that is full of uncertainty in a dynamic environment and you know it's real it's raw and you're you're faced with challenges that that sometimes are predictable and sometimes you thought oh, i'll never see that happen and then you're doing it if sun up to sundown even later uh, every day there's no weekends you're on you're on and that that's just the schedule then there's the lifting and the the all the other tasks of cooking and moving equipment and uh laboring and then you get to row your boat which is the fun part that's uh or paddle whatever that is the time the time on the boat is special but such a limited piece of all the other work mm-hmm. it took me a while to understand this and i've talked about it on this podcast before in other um in other episodes relative to this one in my eyes i see that there's kind of two pathways that a river guide can take and there's that kind of entry level where you become a daily guide and you might do it for a few summers and then there's the path of the career guide can you can you describe those two pathways the type of that work yeah tell me your thoughts on those two kinds of guides yeah well you got to start at the beginning right no matter what you do you gotta you gotta pay your dues and you gotta build your experience and the easiest way I, I started guiding through a guide school. Like I, I signed up for a guide school, paid money, um, and was picked out of 22 to, to continue guiding. And that was daily trips. And then you did daily trips and you built up your experience. And that was the best. Like I, my first year was like the best year of my life. This is incredible. And yeah, so then there is a progression, a natural progression of building experience to then, like you said, being career river guides where I tend to think of multi-day guides, but there's career one-day guides as well, where you just get more serious about what you're doing and um, your experience is built up. And I believe there's a tipping point where that experience is like, yeah, this is me. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to do better. I'm going to learn more things. I'm going to improve. I'm going to make this more interesting than what it's been. Or you look at it after three, four years and you go, that was fun. And that's not for me anymore. Um, I can see both avenues. Last year in 2022, the river radius, we we built three episodes, the endless summer, uh, one, two, and three, I forget the subtitles, but they're the story of, of a, of a, of a man, a river guide, John, who, was having the time of his life is, and he called it the endless summer and, and things just, they got, how do I say it? That, that perfect life he was living became unperfect and he, he dealt with the consequences and there was big consequences and he dealt with them really well. And it's a really intense story. If you've not heard it, you know, listeners, if you've not heard it, I recommend coupling those three episodes with this one. They definitely go together intentionally. So thinking about those episodes, thinking about that, there are times when river guides run into real life stress that is sometimes hard to explain and sometimes hard to identify and also can be really challenging to work through for river guides because sometimes they don't even know what's happening. Can you talk about, can you explain the stress that river guides do encounter? 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first things I think about with being a river guide is you're trying to make a living off of, of doing this work and there's a limited opportunity because you're seasonal. So you're trying to support your lifestyle and there's those everyday stressors that everybody faces. And um, here we are trying to support it. And it's hard. It's hard because the schedule is limited. The weather is limited. So you have that stress going in. Then you have sometimes your crews are the best crew that you're working with, the river guides. And then you throw some dynamic in there of people not getting along or working well together or just personality differences um, can make a really fun, easy job really, really difficult and high stress. Um, so even taking all that, the, the white water out of it, then you're also dealing with the stress of trying to please your, your people that you just met and you really don't know what they, what they want out of the trip. So you have to learn that. You have to, you have to be good conversationists and try to figure out what the, what's best for them while also caring for their needs and having fun with it. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's dynamic work. And with that dynamic work, there's stress of, of, uh, of all those things, not, not always panning out the best way. Mm -hmm. You know, Brooke has just, has defined chronic stress and acute stress. I'm curious if you can define those maybe in that like river guide language. I mean, you're still on the water. You're, you're there in the warehouse with the river guides, um, and understand that vibe. Can you talk about acute stress and chronic stress and, and what those are and then how those intersect and then compound on each other? Yeah, absolutely. With the chronic stress, you know, I like to think of the analogy of the a million mosquito bites, um, just, you know, the buildup of all these things, you know, they could be related to work. They could have nothing to do with work. You're just, you're just overloaded with these exposures. You know, you, you go going into a rapid and you should be just focused there on what what's happening with the water and how it's affecting your boat and where your people are and, and what what your strokes and maneuvers should be but then sometimes things slip into your mind and that stress that stress of other things come into play that's the chronic buildup you can't be in the moment and um the acute stress though is the one big thing the sharp end that big traumatic experience that you might go through, maybe a fatality or, um, or somebody really getting hurt or just something that we plan for, anticipate, but not that you ever really want to go through. And then at the back end of that, you go through that experience and, and what happens um, and how do you recover from that and how do you come back down to normal? And if you have all that accumulative stress built up, that chronic stress, you're just not prepared as much as you would be you're more balanced. From Brooke, we learned about these different tools that are being developed and being brought to different guide companies and to guides themselves. You know, as a company, I'm assuming ORS, like you have a guide training service. Like you, you take the time in the early season, talk about how to rig boats, talk about swift water rescue, first aid, how to read your clients and understand the intake forms, how to keep the kitchen safe hygiene and keeping hands clean and keeping the food safe for the clients and understanding when to cook what meats out of the coolers and keep the coolers safe and then getting people down the river and through the different levels of water 
people's swimming ability and all these pretty inherent layers of river guiding that are being trained for. With all that, I'm curious, what are some of the things ORS is doing? What are some of the things you're doing in your job to, to bring new tools to river guides? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things is that communication piece, just having, having conversations redundant and open and making space is in our management style and leadership style uh, from on the river and off the river is a big component of that. And then, you know, more structured training, we do a risk management training day at each of our operations. Um, the style of training is similar. Uh, it's annual and um, it changes year to year, but, you know, similar ideas. It's building culture within the crew and continuity within the company. And we have speakers come in and present. We also bring some new ideas. And just depending on the year and, and what's happening, we've done trainings on mental health and wellness. We've done trainings on stress injury and putting those things out there and then seeing what the guides take from that and what comes back. I guess it's, a, it's just a neat experiment in training and just trying to connect those guides with the resources that are out there and connect them with each other and with our management teams as well. Yeah. So I hear you say communication being the first, it sounded like that might be the first layer. So just allowing guides and encouraging yeah. guides to talk about, I feel like, I feel like shit today and here's why I might be a little gruff. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Like just like opening yeah. those layers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's this toughness to river guiding. That's, I think the stigma is disappearing. It used to be, you know, put your nose down and do the work and, and take care of the guests and and don't talk about things, push them aside. And that's not true anymore. And I think that's changing as a culture and as a big culture and small cultures. And as a company, we want to, we want to support that conversation and that space so that we can all grow together and care for one another. Cause ultimately, even if you are in the mindset of, you know, I'm being tough, you still care about one another. You're just not, you're not doing it effectively in the moment is my perspective on it. So in the, in the endless summer episodes, we talked a lot about the stress continuum as a tool, this tool that was modified from military use and, and has been brought to the guide world and, I'm curious, is, is that a tool that is at play with ORS? Yes. Yeah. And I, I really like the stress continuum and Laura McLadry's work with Responder Alliance. I think it really speaks to the guides, the guiding culture. There's this like connective tissue that really makes the material get through to river guides in a, in a baseline level. Yeah, so that is something reinstituted last year as here's some information and take it and see where it goes. And we got some, you know, folks talking the language, um, using the colors to identify how they're feeling and how they're doing and, and create conversation amongst their guides and amongst the guides and managers and managers, the managers. Yeah, so it just it just made us feel even more like, okay, we're on to something. And let's uh, let's continue this conversation, and because there's even more resources than just the stress continuum that can benefit us all. 
Are there other tools that you all have implemented last year or that you plan to implement this year? Yeah. So with taking the stress continuum and then, you know, having a bigger conversation, the understanding of our bodies and brain, the reasons behind the reactions is super helpful. So building upon that, understanding how uh, stress injury is an injury and how stress leads into post-traumatic stress and how those play rather than just using terms like PTSD or, you know, more uh, medical terms, the, the language is super helpful. And then tools we use also the 333 protocol that Responder Alliance has. It's a bit further down the line with uh, the stress continuum, but is something we use within our management teams and also our basically our crisis response plan where you're following up with folks that might be struggling and having timelines and parameters set on that. So the follow through is, is meaningful and in the right time. You're bringing these things to the guides. How is it going? Is this going well? Do guides appreciate it? Is there kind of like a stay away from me? Is there a no thanks? I don't really want this stuff. How's it going? Uh, Two things. I want to believe it's going well, um, but also I'm looking at objectively. I do think it's going well. I, I think as a community, the guide community has been looking for this for a long time. We're a community of folks that don't experience traumatic events often, but often enough more than your normal job that we're, we're definitely affected by them. And when, because we don't see it as much, we get affected sometimes more severely because we're, we're providing a fun vacation. Like we're not, we're not going out to rescue people. We're going out to provide a vacation and then all of a sudden something goes sideways and then we go into rescue mode. And so I do think that there's been a long time need for this, these conversations and this support system to be put in place. I've had friends of mine that didn't have that support and didn't have good outcomes. And, you know, we're, we're so far in the red and none of us knew and you know, they took their own life. Not to calibrate and say that that's not happening, but there's more resources and there's more, more conversations happening now than ever before. And even if there's guides pushing this away, they have a little, they know somewhere where they could find it. And if they need it, it's there. If they don't need it, that's that's okay too. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to drink the Kool-Aid, but it's it's a tool and you never know when you're gonna need the right tool. And so having those those in place and some conversation piece, I think is not only just welcomed, but then it's even celebrated by the guides that have been really looking for it. And I don't see any anybody you know, punishing one another because they do like having these hard conversations or thoughtful conversations or, or growing within the conversation either. If folks listening want to, like if, if there's other warehouse managers, operations managers, risk managers, river guides, owners of companies, if they want to access this, this these tools that you're talking about if they want to learn more about this, where where do where would you send people to gain more information? I would send them to Responder Alliance. Like I think that's really, and I consider myself a student in all of this, and I'm just exploring. There's not a one fit piece for anybody, but I think um, 
I think the product that they have right now is really good and I think useful for, has been useful for me and um, I would definitely recommend it. All right. Well, that's all I got. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on the River Radius and telling us about this this information and your story. Yeah, thank you. It's it's really awesome to talk with you today. Thanks so much. You're welcome. A happy and healthy River Guide size thank you goes out to both of our guests today, Brooke Edwards from the Responder Alliance and Bruce Lavoy from Oars. You can find links to the Responder Alliance courses in our show notes today and the promo code for the discount off of the courses. That promo code is River Radius. And there are links for oars as well. You can also find links in the show notes to the Endless Summer episodes from 2022 that are companions to this episode. Today's sponsor is Jack's Plastic Welding. There are links to their website and Instagram in today's show notes. Our social media is crafted by Samantha Sice. Today's music is composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius why zebras don't get ulcers it's pretty fun that squeal when people hit a whitewater wave and they're just like squealing like little kids and just trying to piece all these pieces together to make that river trip a puzzle